This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. The Reds' big summer sale looks set to continue with Shakiri on the shopping list for a number of European buyers as Michael Edwards' strategic planning looks set to pay off. Plus, we'll react to Vinaldum's comments on why he left Liverpool and get the latest from out in Austria ahead of Thursday's friendly with Hertha Berlin. To get into all of that, we're going big today. We've got our Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorse, David Lynch and Joe Rimmer as well. Guys, I hope you're all well. And Gorsty, I'll throw over to you first up. And in terms of Jordan Shakiri, looks as though that interest in him that's kind of been bubbling away underneath the surface for a while, maybe something more concrete this week. Yeah, Liverpool very much expecting talks to be ramped up this week. Uh, quite a few teams interested, long-standard interest has to be said, from the likes of Sevilla and, and Lazio and, and Villarreal. Uh, Napoli also in the hunt as well. Um, so, yeah, an interesting one. Um, he was obviously, you know, there was interest in him back in January of last year and then there was interest again in the in the winter window, if you like, or the autumn window and he, he stayed put and um, tried to fight for his place, but... Um, I think he only started four games last season or six games. Um, had a good Euros, which is, you know, work to Liverpool's benefit in a way. You know, teams are taking another look at him again. And uh, yeah, Liverpool very much open to offers and he's got several teams interested. There are a few talks with his agents, you know, what is feasible from the likes of those clubs. And um, Liverpool very much uh, waiting by the phone for, for the calls to come in. So um, he could be another one on his way in, in the next week or two. And um, yeah, um, been at Liverpool three years or so and I'm sure we'll kind of dissect his career in, in more detail as and when he leaves. But yeah, could be another one heading for the exit doors. Yeah, it looks to be the case. Joe, we have been down this road before, haven't we? Sort of last autumn when he was pulled late from the League Cup game with Arsenal. Harry Wilson, in fact, getting his chance. He's gone this weekend as well. But we have been here before, but he's been very adamant. The quote sort of surfacing from him speaking with Italian media that, no, this time it is going to be wrapped up and by the end of this summer, he won't be a Liverpool player anymore. Yeah, he's not getting any younger, is he? And I think for the sake of his career, I think he, he sort of will be keen to get that sorted this summer, having sort of given Liverpool another year last season. Um, be a shame, you know, on one hand, I think Shaqiri's sort of done exactly what they wanted when they got him. He was 13 million and, you know, especially in his first season, you know, did quite well as that sort of extra forward that they needed at times. And you know, if you remember the, the start of that season, they actually tweaked the formation, didn't they, to get him in the team because he, he was doing quite well. And then obviously injuries have hit him in the last couple of seasons and just not allowed him to really kick on and, and carry on being that option for Liverpool. But, you know, it was a big part of the, the Champions League win in 2019 um, and has served his purpose well. Um, I just think there's a, there'll be a little tiny bit of regret that those injuries have, have stopped him playing a bigger part at times um, when needed. But Liverpool should get decent money back for him. You know, if it's... 10 to 15 million, anywhere between there. They're getting their money essentially back um, on a player that they didn't pay too much for. So they'd be quite pleased. I think it was a clever bit of business all around. So, um, you know, uh, he'll go with the best wishes of Liverpool fans everywhere, I'm sure. Yeah, he's more than served his purpose, hasn't he, Lynchy? And I suppose also it kind of ties into the emergence of Harvey Elliott as well, that Shakiri can be moved on, frees up space in the squad for Elliott to come through. And everything else that it, it kind of brings with it. 
Yeah, I think that's that's the plan, really, isn't it? Sort of similar profile of player that that sort of left-footed playmaker can can play out on the right hand side. But as we've seen in in pre-season, Jurgen Klopp's having a look at Harvey Elliott in that sort of attacking central midfield role, where he did sort of you know towards the back end of last season when he used Shakiri, it was in that position. So I think I think that does open up a vacancy, and I think Liverpool do like to do that. We've seen. You know, with, with Adam Lallana, when he moved on, they, they, they left a space there for Curtis Jones to take up in, in midfield. And I think that's the plan, really, is to sort of a bit of succession planning. And, and like the lads have said, it's, it's probably the right time now for Shakiri to move on and, and get a little bit more football. And then to replace him with someone who, who maybe isn't expecting mega minutes, but, but you know, we'll, we'll have a nice chance to develop there as well. It's, um, it's sort of worked out quite perfectly for Liverpool. Yeah, and Paul, I suppose it's kind of the wider transfer policy with Liverpool playing out this summer of, I suppose, in many ways, evolving the squad. It's not revolution, is it? It's just gently evolving it. And he's been there three years, as you said before, but now time to move on. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I think, um, you know, Liverpool fans know that Shikari is a talented player, but hasn't always had the chance to, to show it. You know, obviously breaking into that front three or even kind of, breaking into the team in general to the point where Klopp is tweaking the system, like Joe mentioned earlier in his career. That's always a, a difficult task. And I always felt he was an ideal squad player when he was fit and ready to um, to play in kind of some of the, the less glamorous games, shall we say, and, and give the other three a rest and, and the quality isn't kind of too much of a drop-off. He's one of the few in the squad who, who's, who's um, willing to play that kind of vertical through ball, if you like. I can think of a couple of Passes last season, they got Jotter in for West Ham and, and there was another one to Trent, which Jotter ended up tapping in against Midtjylland. And so many in in that kind of area in Liverpool and always a little bit reluctant to play that ball. Um, but Shaqiri always tried it, whether it came off or not. And um, I think Liverpool at times maybe needed a bit more of that type of bravery in, in the front three last season. Um, but uh, yeah, he wants to be playing more regularly and, and that, you know, that's fair enough. He's 29, he's clearly good enough to be playing at a high level, considering the, some of the teams interested, the big clubs, aren't they? You know, Europa League winners in, in Villarreal and Lazio, Sevilla, uh, Napoli, probably the biggest of, of that quartet, always seem to be in the Champions League, don't they? So, yeah, I think they'll be getting a, a, a really good player with something to prove, maybe at, at a decent price, wherever he does end up. Um, and Liverpool, hopefully, will go about reinvesting that money rather than just letting a a player go and I'm just thinking, oh, well, we don't need to, to bring anyone else in because I think Liverpool do that too often. Too often they're content to let a fairly key squad player go and, and just kind of shrug the shoulders and think, oh, well, well, we don't need anyone anyone else in. You know, Diane Lovren being the perfect example and so far, Genie Van Alden. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens on the incoming front at this point. But, yeah, I think um, it's, a, it's the right time for Shaley to move. And that's it, isn't it, Joe? He is kind of the, the kind of player who, obviously, when fans are in stadium, gets fans on the edge of their seats, off their seats as well. Sort of real player that Liverpool fans can admire with that that graft and that guile he has in the final third. But I suppose it is a big show of faith in Harvey Elliott. If, as Gorsley says, maybe if Shakiri is going to be moved on and it is a case of, right, this is now the route through to the first team for Harvey Elliott. It's a big show of faith actually having to to step up and take on that amount of responsibility because when Shakiri has been called upon, he's come up with some big showings. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Shakiri has a vast amount of experience playing at some very, very big clubs, doesn't he? In, in Liverpool, Bayern Munich, Inter Milan. So, you know, it, it, it is a show of faith in Harvey Elliott. Um, but, you know, 
you just get the feeling around some players, don't you? And I, I, I think around Curtis Jones, as you mentioned before, last year, you had the feeling that Liverpool had really big hopes for him. And when Alana moved on, you know, they, they made that space in the squad and it worked out well. And I think with Harvey Elliott now, you know, the same sort of, the same applies, doesn't it? And and with Gorsi on the sense that, you know, you want them to reinvest the money. You know, I don't want them to go into the season, um, you know, leaving themselves short. But I think, I think they can use this money in other areas and they can use Harvey Elliott to sort of replace Shakiri and then spend spend on another forward. You know, Origi is another one, isn't he, that you think if they can move him on, um, they'll certainly need a forward there, more central forward. So, um, you know, I think Harvey Elliott becomes a real option, doesn't he? So, you know, it's, it's about, I suppose for Liverpool, it's about getting some of these players off the books, which they're starting to do now. You know, the last week's been, been particularly good for them in that sense. And, and then sort of, looking at where they're at, seeing what money they've got and seeing what options are available and, and perhaps reinvesting in one or two players rather than, you know, the, the several that they've sold. So um, I think they've put, put themselves in a good position. Uh, but as Gorsley says, I don't want them to leave themselves too short because I think we have seen that in the past. Lynch, you wrote a piece for The Echo that went out on Sunday evening regarding sort of the transfer policy and the need for addressing quotas. Interesting, and I suppose this sort of plays into that, that now this might, I suppose, be maybe the kind of last stumbling block that there may have been for Liverpool to release the cash, as it were, and and start really getting going in this transfer window. Yeah, I think it's probably more of an influence than, than even the money, really. I think, you know, I've said on this podcast before, I don't think, you know, I think it's a little bit overblown about, you know, how tight the finances are at Liverpool. I think they're in a, a fairly decent position despite, the, the you know, the COVID situation and the financial hit they took there. I think a lot of this needing to offload players has been more in mind of the, the idea that the, the squad is basically too full. So so as things stand, obviously, prior to Shakiri leaving, we've got 17 uh, non-homegrown players in the squad at the moment uh, who should feasibly expect first-team football and that is, that's the absolute limit. Um, you're allowed obviously 17 non-homegrown and eight homegrown and, and so they're on the limit of that. So they need to, if they are to add more foreign talent, so say in midfield or or in the forward line, they need to they need to offload a, a non-homegrown player. So Shakiri would fit the bill for that. Same with Origi. We, we do expect that, you know, you know, there's a real possibility that both of those move on but yeah, it's it's a major consideration because you know, for example, say that Origi doesn't get his move. It's it's happened before. It's you know, there's not really a lot of great talk about concrete interest so far. You know, say he doesn't get his move and Shakiri does. You know that if Liverpool do want to sign a forward and a midfielder, they would maybe have to think about possibly. You know, is one of them going to have to be English? Because you know, for example, Matt Phillips is probably likely to move on. A lot of interest in him. You know, it, it's it's a bit of a consideration for Liverpool in terms of what their incomes look like. There's a, there's a real possibility that you know, say Nat Phillips and Shakiri move on, and Origi doesn't, then one of those signings, be it a midfielder or or in the forward line, is is going to have to be an, an English homegrown player. Which sort of in that context, I think maybe those links to to Jared Bowen at West Ham sort of make a, a little bit more sense. Yeah, it's interesting, and it's one of those things, isn't it, Gorsley? As football fans, you, you think just buy the players and deal with it all later. But we saw it last summer, didn't we, with Marco Gruic, that they couldn't really quite move him on. In the end, he wasn't able to fit into those quotas, was put into the under-23s, and then it was a loan to, to Porto that was agreed. And they don't want to sort of find themselves in a similar position. They'd rather move on the players, free up the spaces, and then be able to press on with transfer business. Yeah, I think that's right, isn't it? Rather than kind of doing a one-in-one-out, I think that they're looking at what they can 
you know, clear from the decks now and then assess it a little later on. And, and we know that Liverpool behind the scenes do have targets, do have shortlists, and and we've seen that when they, they do spring into action, it's all done relatively quickly, isn't it? So I don't think there's any um, kind of concern over um, not having targets identified or um, kind of turning their attention towards that when it's too late. I do think that, it, as Lynchy says, there is a case of, um, you know, sorting out the, the quotas and then seeing what can be done. Um, I think a, a key issue is um, Liverpool, you know, the, the, the coaching staff and Klopp and, and the, the recruitment team, I think they're looking at it and thinking anyone who's going to come in <clears throat> has to be of a certain level where they're going to be able to to challenge for the first team spot. You know, as a, a midfielder coming in, is he going to be better than Henderson and Fabinho and Thiago? Um, you know, will there, will there be a debate there to be had for anyone coming in? Can he, you know, go straight into the team? I think that that's that's probably a big issue you've got when you know the better you get, the smaller the pool of available players to improve you actually becomes. And and I think that is potentially a little bit of a sticking point for Liverpool at the moment. Um, I don't think they're going to be just bringing anyone in for the sake of it, just so they've got an extra midfielder to say, well, why now them left? So we've got this guy in who's not nowhere near the standard but it's a body I think they are very kind of strategic and um, hone in on a on a quite a short list of, of players who can fill potential gaps in the squad and that is possibly what um, what is happening at the moment The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo Is it maybe Joe not the argument to kind of be put forward I think what are we eight weeks now since the transfer window opened for Liverpool to be able to do business I know with the, the European clubs it has been since the start of July but we know sort of transfer negotiations and dealings are happening all year round that sort of a, a bit of a frustration this has taken so long to reach this point that Liverpool are now clearing this amount of players before then being able to to maybe then look to, to bring in Cummings in. Perhaps for fans, but I think Liverpool would have would have foreseen this, and, and probably this is probably exactly what they expected, didn't they? You know, you had the Euros that had to settle down, and then you know, I think it. I was reading something from uh, you know Stuart Webber, the, the Norwich uh, director of football, the other day, and, and he was talking about how the market's difficult because you know people and, and Liverpool are a good example of this. Have certain you know they've they certain players they want to sell, um, you know someone like Gruwich, who we know. Last summer, perhaps the summer before, Liverpool had a valuation of around twenty million. Am I right? Something like that. And then you, you know, you get past COVID, the pandemic, and a couple of years down the line, and you know, it's it's finding the right balance, isn't it, between getting the valuation you want and a more realistic valuation that people can afford to pay. And I think you're seeing this week, Liverpool's are starting to do a bit of business now because they're sort of coming to agreements with clubs on valuations, and they're getting around the right price, aren't they? You know, you look at. Wilson Wilson was another player that I think Liverpool 18 months ago would have wanted around 20 million for 12 million now seems about right. And you're starting to get sort of, you start to work out what the market looks like. And then I think Liverpool will start buying players. And when they do again, you'll start to see valuations. You know, there, there aren't many big deals. You know, there aren't many Jaden Sancho's going on. You know, there's obviously the exceptions, but I think, you know, it was always going to be a bit of a slow start. And, you know, Liverpool aren't the type of club that likes to leave things to deadline day, but you know, I think you will see a lot of business in the last two weeks of the transfer window once people have sold players and there's a bit of money in. 
and, and clubs have started to sort of come down on their valuations and meet in the middle. So I, I think Liverpool will have expected this. They'll have known all about it. And I think they'd be pretty pleased with the business that they've done in the last week. And, and you know, if they can they can move Shakiri on this week, if they can get in him for a Rigi, I think they'll be privately pretty delighted with where they're at and, and, and be able to plan ahead for the rest of the window. Yeah, should the Shakiri deal go through Lynch and be around 15 million? That'll sort of be sales near up to 50 million for this window. Maybe then throw a Rigi in there and Phillips, as you were saying before, that's more of, I suppose, maximizing an asset and getting out of that what they can. Liverpool then will have a, a bit of a wedge burning a hole in their pocket, won't they? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you've got to factor in the Canate the money has, has gone out there, but, I, but it's still, you know, there's a realistic prospect of them getting a really low net to this squad. And obviously, that's not the aim. And I know some supporters will probably be unhappy about that because they got net spend up there and, and staying high. But I think, you know, it just shows how sort of well run Liverpool are that they're using players who, you know, really make a, a major impact on the first team next season um, and, and generating decent funds and selling them as well. So, yeah, just speaks to how well run Liverpool are, and I think we can have a. a... I think we may have lost Lynchy yeah. there in the end. I think we got the, the the gist of what he was saying, though, Gorsty. And I, I suppose, sort of looking at it all with kind of Liverpool and the money they're making, it's all well and good on the balance sheet to be making money and go go well with that. Joe's already referenced the Jaden Sancho deal. Manchester United also looking to get Rafa Varane. Man City, we know they've got big targets lined up as well. It might not quite be Liverpool's way. Thiago may be breaking that mould last year of being a high-caliber player coming in. But nonetheless, if Liverpool want to be back to competing, they fell an awful long way last year. They, they, they will want to make some kind of statement, will they not? I don't think they'd be too concerned with making a a statement signing or a marquee signing per se. I don't think, I don't, certainly don't think Jürgen Klopp is too interested in what um, other teams are doing. Um, you know, every time he's kind of asked about stuff like that, he just says, well, we only played them twice a year. So that is when we concern ourselves with who they've got, which is fair enough, I suppose. I think the Thiago one was a little bit opportunistic and it did break the mould and the model in terms of he, he was 29 and he only had a year left on his contract and, Obviously, a two-time Champions League with a massive pedigree um, and Liverpool kind of took advantage of, of that situation. But generally, I think players like Diogo Jota, they are kind of the ideal pen pitcher for Liverpool. Players who have shown um, that they can make the step up, who can make you know the, the next stage of their career and, and Liverpool is the place to do it. With um, plenty of years on your contract and you're at a good age, Ibrahim Akanate, he's another one, isn't he? Obviously, playing Champions League football for RB Leipzig and, and they've come come on leaps and bounds in the last three or four years, haven't they? And, and Canate's been part of that. So I think Liverpool are targeting that player who's you know, may, maybe the rung below in terms of um, profile, but is good enough to, to move into the, the upper echelon of the game. And, and um, that will generally be the, the players who they're looking at this summer. Um, and I, I don't know if you were too worried if uh, United are signing Sancho if they're going up Iran or whatever. Obviously, you know, they are statement signings and will create a lot of attention. But I think Liverpool know that uh, when everyone's fit and everyone's ready to go and, and they've got the wind in the sails, that they are good enough to, to win this league. Can I just just jump in? And I think that it's funny that everyone wants statement signings, but I think if if Jaden Sancho comes in and has a season, you know, injuries aside, I know he had a couple of knocks, but as a season like Diogo Jota had last season, 
United would be delighted and, and they'd be looking at their investment and saying, yeah, you know, he delivered on the, on the what was it, 70 odd million that they spent. And, you know, Varane obviously comes with a lot of pedigree, but, you know, Liverpool spending, by all accounts, just less money on a, on a player in Kanata who's younger and probably has a higher ceiling, doesn't he, you know, going forward. So, I don't think Liverpool will be too worried. These are big statement names. And I'm sure Liverpool, you know, liked Sancho as a player. I mean, Klopp was quite open about that, wasn't he? But, you know, Jota was a lot cheaper. Still got many, many years, you know, ahead of him and has done very, very well. So if Liverpool can find similar signings like that, as Gorsi said, I don't think anyone's complaining. It's just, I mean, everyone gets hung up. You know, we're all human, aren't we, on these names? Because you, you see about, you see them, and you hear about them all the time, and you know, you, you find yourself sort of imagining what they'd be like in the Liverpool team. But Liverpool always seem to have a good plan, and they they don't often miss the target with their, their signing. So, I think people should have faith that whoever they do pull out the bag will go and do quite well. I suppose it's that time, isn't it, where you've where the trust in the process is kind of tested at its most. But I suppose, of course, it is going to be an interesting, I suppose, 18 months or so now for Liverpool because we, we go back sort of three years to that big summer spree that Liverpool spent money in bringing in the likes of, uh, obviously, Van Dijk had arrived in the January before, but Alisson and Fabinho as well. But these players have all now aged together and getting sort of towards late 20s, early 30s or whatever, all together. There is going to come a period where Liverpool are going to be needing to bring in more of the likes of the Diogo Jotters so they can have a bit of time to bed in and then become key players rather than need to, I suppose, do what United have had to do with someone like Varane and looks as though they'll have to pay big money for a player who's already in the prime of his years without sort of too many years in him, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you can't really compare the, the two two strategies of, of Manchester United and Liverpool. Liverpool very much, um, like you say, they look ahead to kind of refresh and, and freshen up the squad without making too many wholesale changes. They know that they've got a, the bulk of the squad there who've proven that they can win <clears throat> the biggest, <clears throat> excuse me, the biggest titles in the game. Uh, United very much seem to be driven by the... I mean, this is just from the outside looking in and I'm sure some United fans will shoot me down, but seems to be very much driven by what a player can do for them commercially before what they can do for them on the pitch. It's always a statement sign and it's every single summer, isn't it? It's um, it's it's Pogba, it's Fernandez, it's Sancho, it looks like it's going to be Varane, it's, it's Harry Maguire for 85 million and it's all very much about making massive, loud headlines and social engagements and, you know, going viral. And that all seems to be um, part of the, the thinking of the likes of Edward. I know he's, he's obviously, I don't know whether he's moved on already, but the, the, he was meant to be moving on, wasn't he? And, yeah, at the end of the year, I think it is. Yeah, Matt George was stepping into his place. But generally, the, the United um, mould, if you like, seems to be very much, that's us sad superstars. And it's almost a Real Madrid-style approach of late. Um, and of course, no manager is going to going to hear that from the sporting director. Look, we want Jaden Sancho. Look, we want Paul Pogba. And they're not going to say no, are they? So um, that seems to be how they work. Whereas Liverpool, kind of not not too concerned with blockbuster headlines and names. They just focus on what a player can add to the squad, um, what they can do here and now, and then in two or three years' time when they've developed and, and they've improved as a player at the club and under the guidance of Klopp and. And go from there and, and that, you know, looking throughout this Liverpool squad, that is exactly what they've done with virtually every player. You know, Salah, 
Mane, Van Dijk, um, even Fabinho to an extent. Um, I'd say possibly the only one who, who hasn't had to do that is someone like Alisson who, who come in and, you know, he's a Champions League semi-finalist with Roman. He was a Brazil number one at the Copa America that summer, I think. So, um, Liverpool very much different Kettler 50 United in terms of how they operate in the transfer window. Yeah, final one then, Joe, on the transfer front. I suppose we were sort of speaking about the, the quotas and everything earlier on in the podcast and the role Michael Edwards does. I suppose objective number one pretty much looks as though you can put a tick in that box, certainly in pencil, if not in pen just yet. But it will now be a case of switching towards those incomings and hopefully not having to sort of maybe spend the mega money that, as, as Gorsty was outlining there, that United do on superstars, but unearthing some hidden gems, maybe one or two to bring in before the window's out. Yeah, I mean, I think before that, the priority is, is you know, you two have just alluded to it, contracts. So I think Liverpool will want to get some of those contracts done and dusted um, before they worry about the next ones. But yeah, a midfielder, a forward, we sort of all know, we sort of all expect them. You know, I think Liverpool will, will take us all by surprise at some stage and sort of come through with these, these types of players. So, yeah, they will be the priorities, but I think we'll still see Liverpool... I think it'll be another week or two yet before they, they sort of sell off, you know, the likes of Shakiri, possibly Origi. Things start seem to start ramping up now. So, you know, I wonder what Matt Phillips, the future holds for him, that sort of thing. So, you know, if Liverpool can, can get a bit more money and can free a bit, a bit more space, I think they'll then start to sort of nail down those targets. But yeah, midfielder and a, and a forward by the sounds of things. And just to follow up on the, the United stuff you've just been talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with Gorsley in many ways. You know what? I don't think necessarily, you know, like Harry Maguire cost a lot of money. I don't think necessarily they bought him to, to be a headline or a name. But I do think their their signing of him was almost a reaction to Liverpool's signing of Van Dyke, you know, at the time. You know, Liverpool had broken the world record for a defender on Van Dyke. And it almost forced United's hand to go and do the same if they wanted Maguire. And I don't think Maguire was anywhere near the standard of a Van Dyke. And I think they just almost because they they aren't as good at or they, they certainly haven't been as good in the scouting department. I've had their hand forced at times to go and spend big money on, on players. And I'm not always convinced, that, you know, even for Ram, on paper it sounds like quite a good signing, but, you know, he, he's had his struggles, hasn't he, for Real Madrid over the last yeah. sort of couple of years. And, you know, they'll pay him a lot of money. He's, he's going to be on big, big wages. He's going to come in for a big fee. He's at the, the, the tail end. I mean, what's he, 28, 29? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, yeah. the, the tail end of his of his sort of career. And, and I just think, is it the most sensible of signings? Liverpool would certainly not do it. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I just have a lot more trust in Liverpool's process than I do in United's. And, um, and also with United, no one will ever be able to convince me that their manager isn't six, six bad months away from the sack. Despite signing a new four-year contract or whatever it was, but no, I completely agree. You know what I mean? It it, it doesn't seem like there's a fully joined-up approach there. And and look, you know they improved last season, and you know they finished second. But I'd still, I'd still back Liverpool to to finish. You know, Liverpool had a very very ridiculous year with injuries. I still think Liverpool have got a better squad. I still think Liverpool have got a better better management team. I still think Liverpool have got a better scouting team. So, you know what? United might be grabbing some headlines, but. Honestly, I trust the process at Liverpool every time and back them, you know, a lot more. And you know, I just wouldn't get too hung up. Man City are a different kettle of fish because of the money they've gotten. 
that you know they can go out and make mistakes all summer long, and it, it doesn't matter the following summer they can go and correct it. Chelsea a little bit the same, but you know we've seen United spend big money on players like Maguire who haven't necessarily pulled up the trees that you know that, that they were meant to. So I wouldn't get carried away. Although I do like Sancho, so. For all that, you know, I do think slightly envious that they went and got him. So, yeah, well, there is still five long weeks to go in the transfer window, so there will be plenty more twists and turns. And do stay across it all with us on the Liverpool Echo, the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gorse, the next point on the agenda to get into is certain Genie Vinealdum. We've pretty much been speaking about him all summer long, whether it be prior to his departure or since, but he has spoken now about part of the reasons as to why he left Liverpool. And I mean, it's it's a topic we've not really always broached too much on, blood red, but it's an issue that's been going on in sport for an awful long time now and social media abuse. And unfortunately, it certainly looks as though it played its part in Genie deciding to leave Anfield. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure to the extent that that had on him deciding that, you know, he's going to leave. He, he wants to stay, didn't he? You know, he, he was he was getting stick from a couple of more runs online and, and still wanted to stay and, and the manager wanted to keep him. So I don't think I don't think that was was the reason. I think he was just highlighting the, the fact that at the time when there were no fans inside the stadium to to let the team know how they how they're getting on and get a little bit of support behind them. Maybe some of the squad raced towards the comment section of their Instagrams or the Twitters and, and found, you know, the typical nonsense that we find ourselves talking about almost on a on a week-to-week basis now of um, children and idiots, you know, giving abuse. Um, you know, not even fair, fair-minded, constructive criticism. This, you know, a lot of it is abuse, and I mean, he was just highlighting that. And um, I think he's got a point. Um, I mean, I, I don't troll through the comment section of Gina and Alden's Instagram or any other players really, but I can believe wholeheartedly that when Liverpool were losing six in a row he was getting called for all kinds and getting told get out of my club by people who probably never been to Anfield um, calling it my club who, who couldn't point it out on a map um, I've, I've no doubt that that happened it's probably happened to other players at the club and it's probably happened to other footballers around the world for, for you know the toxicity of social media and just everything about it. So, um, yeah, I think it was right to highlight it, to be honest. Um, we know that some of the pool fans or the pool players were, you know, some of the abuse bordered on, on racial, didn't it, after the pool lost to Real Madrid in the Champions League. And um, that is just appalling. And it's something that we've seen rear its head with England, you know, when England lost them on penalties to Italy a couple of weeks ago. And, yeah, it's, it's sad. It's a sad indictment on, on society and, um more needs to be done, and, and that is very much a conversation that needs to needs to keep happening in, in football. And um, I think Wayne Alden was right to highlight it, um, but I don't think that is the reason he left. He, he wanted to stay, and perhaps wasn't offered the terms or um, time on a, on a new deal. So he's obviously moved on, and, and good luck to him. Um, Liverpool's task now for me is making sure that he's adequately replaced. Yeah, it is a big, big shoes to fill and a legendary figure, certainly in the modern era of Liverpool. And Joe, it's a sad indictment when a player does come out. I mean, he said in the press conference, didn't he, that he held in the autumn that once everything played out, he would sort of speak about things. But regardless how big or small sort of this 
was in sort of his decision to move on in the end from Liverpool. It, it's something that has to has to be eradicated as soon as possible because players, I mean, people will say, well, why does he need to go onto his Instagram and look at the comments? Well, he's every right to do so. It's his yeah, Instagram yeah. page. Um, but it, it, it is horrendous, abhorrent abuse that continues to, to happen to, to football players. Yeah, I, I must admit, you know, I, I first sort of glanced at the story and thought, you know, is, is that are those the reasons why, um, you know, he's saying he's left? And then if, if you read it again, it, like Gorsi was saying, it, it, he wasn't saying, I received abuse and that's why I left Liverpool. You know, I do kind of wish he, he had sort of explained, you know, a little bit more detail why he left, because I think, you know, he, people just put two and two together there and, and, and sort of said that's why he left, because of, because of abuse. And, you know, Genie Wijnaldum was loved by, by you know, proper supporters who don't dish out abuse on social media. He well, was, that's what he said, uh, wasn't it, as well? Yeah, he, said yeah, that. he, was, he got yeah. amazing reception on his on his final game. I, I wish he could have had a reception in front of in front of a full Anfield. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, look, anyone who's anywhere been anywhere near social media knows that it, it just is a toxic, toxic place. And you know, it's going to take people like Genie Wijnaldum and, and, and high profile people to highlight it because they shouldn't have to come off social media. You know, I think it's a sad fact that probably they are best ignoring it at times. But you know, until until such a time that the likes of Twitter and Facebook and 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 all those companies use just some of the some of the billions and billions and billions of pounds worth of profits they make every year to actually try and put in a play a proper plan in place to sort of deal with this problem, then you know, the likes of Genie Wijnaldum are going to have to put up with that silly abuse. So. You know, I just wish that they would do more. I think, you know, I, I mean, we say a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of it. And sometimes I do think to myself, you, you just wouldn't go into a shop and say to someone, you know, you haven't done a good job and say some of the things that these people say. And it's crazy. And I just don't know why people feel the need to do it. I don't know why the feel, people feel the need to be so nasty in general, um, but that's just what it, the way it is, and, and I hope that these big companies can finally get a get a grip of it because they're just embarrassing themselves. They're letting themselves down because they've got the money, they've got the resource, they surely can do it. You know that we should be getting a grip on these sorts of things now. Most definitely, right? Let's let's move on from that and into preseason. Then before we do go, and obviously, Gorsty, we spoke after the game on on Friday night. It wasn't the best showing of all, but Liverpool stepping up preparations for this coming week and on Thursday take on Hertha Berlin. And I, I suppose it is then just the, the next stage and whether or not we'll continue to see Jurgen Klopp's Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain false nine experiment. Yeah, Liverpool have, have moved camps now whether they're in there, Tivoli or, or Tivoli. I'm not too sure how you say it, but they're in a new camp uh, preparing for the game on Thursday, another 90-minute workout. Um Again, I think we'll see a little bit of a more of a um, Liverpool stepping up. You know, that Klopp used 23 players through the night, didn't he? And, and made 11 changes at half-time. And then Tyler Morton was brought off for Jay Kane. But I think, um, I mean, I might be wrong on this, but I think we might see Liverpool, or Klopp rather, use, say, um, a Joel Matter for the 60 minutes or, or, a, or a Canate for the 60 minutes. Um we should see Jota potentially. Um, he obviously only joined up late last week and, and was was in reserve um, on the bench on Friday, wasn't he? So uh, potentially could see Andy Robertson as well. Um, so yeah, um, plenty of, of things to keep us occupied and keep us interested. And yeah, just uh, just 
you know, building on that fitness, building it up, and then another game ahead of the the two games in Anfield, which I'm sure so many people are looking forward to with um, 75% capacity. Yeah, it just feels that we are now, I suppose, in, in this week of pre-season now, Joe, beginning to sort of get more towards kind of that match readiness that the players have. And I have to say one player in particular who's impressed me in the, the run-out so far is Kostas Simikas, and it could be a quite a big season for him. Yeah, I mean, just reading between the lines, some of the things that players have been saying about him and that, you know, Pep Linders has his diary on the website, I've been reading that. You know, people seem to be talking very highly of him. Um, and obviously Liverpool, you know, had hopes that he would challenge Andy Robertson or at least put pressure on him last year. And for one reason or another, he didn't. But let's face it, you know, we saw with Andy Robertson himself, it can take time. And this is a guy who's coming over from a different country, learning a new language. You know, he's had injuries in a season which was unlike any other. So, you know, I think for him, you can just sort of put one se- last season aside and, and use it as a bit of a springboard for this term and, and build on it. And, you know, people, it's easy to sleep on players like that, isn't it? It's, it's easy to sleep on some of the options that Liverpool have and hopefully, um, you know, he, he can come in and, and make Liverpool a little bit stronger because Andy Robertson barely, barely gets a rest. You know, he's one of the players in the team that, that plays every minute of every game and, He's like, I mean, he's one of the fittest players I've ever seen at Liverpool, but it can't be good on someone playing that much football. So be good, be good if Chimikas gets a, gets a bit of football this term. But yeah, I mean, they've been stepping it up now. I think you'll start to see it settle down. As Gorsi was saying, you'll, you'll start to see some of the, the players that, that haven't played come in and clap to make a few, few, a, a few less changes. Sorry, that doesn't really make sense, does it? Um, and, and, and just sort of come start getting his, his main side ready for the with the opening games. You know, I always think pre-season, I always have this thing in my head that pre-season, you, you know, you have to have a good pre-season. It filters into the season. But I've sort of moved away from that, especially with Klopp teams, because he seems to like to whip his sides in pre-season, get them really fit. And, you know, there's been a few defeats, hasn't there, in the past? Was it last summer? They, they lost 4-0 to Mainz, or was it the year before last? Um, 2016, yeah. Was it 2016? Yeah, yeah. That, that was straight after the Wembley game, wasn't it, Barcelona? Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. And they beat Barcelona and then lost that game. And, you know, there, there was a time when I was convinced that, like, a good pre-season had an impact on the on the following season. But under Klopp, I think it's a lot different. I just think it's all about fitness. It's all about pushing your side to their limits and then having them ready. So, you know, I, I'm not really taking much notice of the scores of these games because I think for him, especially while they're in Austria, it's all about fitness. So um, I think he'd be quite pleased with their, where they're at. And once you get back to Anfield for those games, then you'll start to see a few tweaks to the side really for the season ahead. Yeah. Stephen Warnock made a really good point, actually. I thought on LFC TV ahead of the, uh, or after the, the game on Friday, basically saying you can see the players maybe arrive a bit leggier, as you say, Joe, having been whipped. Whereas obviously during the season, they're arriving fresh and, and ready to go. Gorsley, just last point on sort of the, the squad and how they're shaping up. You said Diogo Jota's back, Andy Robertson as well as reported back as well. I suppose we're just waiting now on the, the lads from the Copper America, Thiago and Jordan Henderson, who's been doing his own workouts in Spain. Yeah, he has just been training with, with Mallorca, hasn't he? Or Mallorca, um, keeping himself fit with a bit of warm weather training. Um, yeah, it's um, you know it's, it's it just kind of typifies him, doesn't it? You know, he's been given three weeks off after the Euros, and you know he's desperate to make sure that he returns to Austria, um, or even if he even if he meets up with them, you know, for the friendlies, he's going to be in 
peak condition and, and he's going to make sure that um, he's, he's still going to be in line for the place against Norwich. Um, I still expect him to, to play in that game. You know, he, he won't have had as much time off um, or time at the training as most of the other midfielders, but um, I just think his importance and his professionalism means that um, he'll still be wearing the armband against Norwich. So, yeah, expect not less from Henderson. Um, I know Van Dijk's done something similar in the past. Um, it's, it's just what, what these players do, isn't it? I mean, gone are the days of, of players having a few weeks off and then, you know, going, uh, going to, too heavy on, on the, the food and the drink and then coming back to training a little bit overweight or whatever. So, um, yeah, especially at a club, club like Liverpool where you're challenging for, for the, the major honours. Um, I expect Henderson to be ready to go when, uh, when he finally meets up with the rest of the team. Yeah, no, I was going heavy on the uh, food and drink enjoying the sunshine last week. But <laughs> as you say, the, the players, not so much. Uh, well, that's it from us for this edition of the Blood Red podcast. Do check out the link to our Blood Red club in the description of the podcast this week. We've got a special Bundesliga podcast coming up, talking about all of those players who have been linked with Liverpool and those who may well be of interest to Jurgen Klopp. But from myself, Guy Clark, Paul Gorst and Joe Rimmer, thanks for your time and your company here on Blood Red. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.